So Christmas is a time often, at least as I think about it, of memories. Like we all have our Christmas memories as we pull out decorations, as we get ready, as we cook favorite meals. We all have memories around Christmas. I've told you this before, but in case you have forgotten or you are not aware, I grew up in a family that was Presbyterian, and they were actually a part of a church plant. So one of my memories of Christmas, because if you've ever been a part of a church plant, um, you were very involved in order to make a church successful and grow. So one of my memories of Christmas is always being at the church and mentally saying to myself, I don't want to always be at the church at Christmas time. And God having a very funny sense of humor, right? And he's like, enjoy your week, Cunningham, because here you go. I remember my grandfather. So I grew up, my, my mom's parents lived next door to us. And I remember my grandfather got two hall passes a year on going to church. One was when the Indianapolis 500 was racing, because that was back in the days, and they didn't broadcast it, right? It was just on the radio, and so he got to stay home on the Indy 500 racing day and listen to the radio, and then on Christmas Eve. Now, his story, and I don't know, he's not around to corroborate this story anymore, but the story I remember him telling was that he stayed at home to protect our two houses from being robbed, I'm not really sure how that worked, but as a child, I'm like, well, that makes sense, I guess. You know, he gets a hall pass. So, you know, I have these memories, but memory is an interesting thing because there are memories that we recall and that we know shaped us, but there are also other things that have happened in our lives that have somehow evaporated from our memory, but they also still shape us. The scriptures in front of us, the scriptures that we look in week after week after week, remind us of God's goodness and God's grace. They tell the story, whether the Psalms or the prophets or the New Testament authors or the gospel lessons, they speak of the narrative of God and what God has done and will do in and through Jesus Christ, a God who covenants, a God who loves. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the prophetic word of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. But I want to begin at the very first verse of Malachi chapter 1, because it is an important message for all of us to hear as we move throughout the narrative that is the book of Malachi. And this is what we read in the first two verses. A prophecy. Okay, that word literally is the word oracle. And the Hebrew understanding of that word is burden. B-U-R-D-E-N. When the prophets speak, they bring forth a heavy, weighty word. And this is what Malachi is going to do. And so we continue on. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi, I have loved you. It all begins with that. Many weeks ago, I preached a sermon where there were three themes of saying, I see you, I know you, I love you. 
Those are the words that God speaks over us again and again and again. So it starts with this great thing. But now, let me tell you the context of which this prophecy happens. The nation of Israel, as we looked at a couple weeks ago in the book of Jeremiah, they have been exiled. The Babylonians have come in. They have taken them away around 586 B.C. For 70 years, they, they weep by the rivers of Babylon, but then they're able to come back home. And as they come back home, what is the first thing that they begin to do? They begin to build the temple because the temple is where the residence of God was. And when the Babylonians destroyed the temple, there was fear that God would no longer be with them. So they first begin to rebuild the temple. We read about that in Ezra, and then we read in Nehemiah that they return back to rebuild the walls. Interesting that you build the church before you build the walls around the city to protect you. But that tells you the importance of the temple for the people of God. So they rebuild the temple. They rebuild the walls. And it all seems to be going well. And they keep thinking that the Messiah is going to come, that God is going to return, that God is going to begin to bless them. And it doesn't happen. And so 150, 200 years later or so, around 450 B.C., the people have lost their way. Malachi is the prophet, and they're questioning the goodness of God. Their worship, as we, we're not going to read about this, their worship is atrocious. Their parenting and marriages are falling apart. Their financial generosity is non-existent, and I have to tell you, it's so hard not to preach a sermon on bringing the full tithe into church because that's in Malachi, it's really hard for me to skip that, So, but I'm skipping it for today. But everything was a mess, so much so that we read right before the text that is our text for this morning, Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. It says this, Malachi says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. I don't think that's a very good thing, by the way. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? They're waiting and longing and wondering, when will God show up? And so then we read this. Our text for this morning, Malachi 3, verses 1 through 4. God speaks and says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure, who can stand the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites, refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. The Lord will come to his temple 
You see, the temple for Israel was so important. We have the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, that were the songs that Israel sang as they made their way to Jerusalem three times a year for the festivals and the feasts. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of earth. And they would sing that and they would look upwards because as they made their way to Jerusalem, it was in the hills. And they would sing about meeting with God. And so when God shows up, God says, I am going to arrive in my temple. Now, Jesus, we know, showed up at the temple sometimes as well. Kind of messed things up every now and then. But in Mark chapter 13, as the disciples are commenting on the temple within Jerusalem... Jesus talks to them in kind of the same kind of language that this messenger of the covenant that we have in Malachi. And he says, you need to be ready. You need to be on watch. Because one day the Lord will come. And this is what he says, verse 35, Mark 13. Therefore keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. Whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn, If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Be ready. Be prepared. In season, out of season. And of course, the irony is this, that Jesus says, I want you to stay awake. I want you to be alert. I want you to watch. I want you to worship. Because one day, this is going to happen. So 37 verses later, in the Garden of Gethsemane, what happens? Jesus takes his buddies, Peter, James, and John, out to pray with him, right? And he goes away because he knows what's going to happen. And he comes back, and what's happened with Peter, James, and John? Oh, it's time for a little nap. We're tired. We had a big meal, right? Like it's like post-Christmas, whatever, you know, and they're, they're taking a nap. And Jesus literally said, stay awake. Watch. As you wait, watch, be prepared, be alert. Because you never know when the Lord might show up. But it's interesting that the Lord is described as a messenger of the covenant. And covenant is a super important word that we don't use all that often, but it's actually important in Presbyterian polity and theology as well. But the covenant is this, that God creates a relationship that is unique, that is loving with his people. And within that covenant, there are certain things that are expected. And if there is not obedience to that covenant, then there are certain consequences. You can think about this. God creates covenant with Adam. God makes a covenant with Noah. I'll never destroy the world again. God makes a covenant with Abraham. I will make of you a great nation. God makes a covenant with the nation of Israel and with Moses of saying, I'm going to take you to the promised land. God makes a covenant with King David. Because you'll always have somebody sitting on the throne. And then in Jeremiah, which we'll read in just a moment, we read about a new covenant. So when you open up your Bible, And you go and you look at the beginning of the Bible. At the very beginning of mine, at least, it says 
the Old Testament. And then we have the New Testament. I'm being very nice to you all today, okay? So we're just going to keep it very, very simple. So the Bible is a story of two testaments. The word testament comes from the Latin testamentum, which means covenant. So the Bible literally is the story of two covenants. The old covenant and the new covenant. Now in Jeremiah 31 we read about this new covenant. So let me read these words to you again. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors, the old covenant. When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach. Oh, sorry, I'm stopping. Went went too far there. Got too excited. Just wanted to keep reading that, Jeremiah. It's so good, so good. This is the new covenant. Jeremiah, as he's prophesying, as the nation of Israel is about ready to be taken out by the nation of Babylon, he is saying, and God is saying through him, there's a new covenant. They'll be written on your heart. There will be an internal covenant. And it is that covenant that this messenger comes and speaks to. Now, this messenger is interesting. Because the messenger will do two things. He will be like a refiner's fire, and he will be like the launderer's soap. We don't like fire. And living where we live, we particularly worry about forest fires, wildfires. And you worry about them because those kind of fires burn indiscriminately. You never know what way they are going to move. They are chaotic and uncertain. Wildfires. Another kind of fire that we think of is an incinerator that completely destroys everything. Right? I didn't see very many nods there. Can I, can I try that again, right? right? Okay. Notice, it does not describe the Lord as an incinerating fire. It does not describe the Lord as a forest fire. It describes the Lord as a refining fire. Makes all the difference in the world. Because what God seeks to do in our lives is to refine us. Because we tend to go our own way. We tend to do our own thing. We've got this dross is the old school term, right? Like this stuff that has to be burned away. And it's not fun and it's not easy. And sometimes it's painful. And sometimes we cause it. And sometimes the world causes it. And there's all sorts of stuff around this. But the beauty of it is this, is that God wants to refine you so that you might become the person that he longs for you to be. Because we are born into sin. And we need 
We need help. Like there's this huge gap. So God promises to refine us. But the other image is this. He's like a launderer's soap. So whenever I read this text, I think about my mom's dad, my grandfather, who got the hall pass, right? Memorial Day weekend for the Indy 500, Christmas Eve. He was a mechanic. And he had a one-car shop in the Tower District in Fresno. And so, you know, you know he, 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 like, and during the summers, my mom would take me down there, and sometimes my little brother, and we would sit in his shop and watch him work on cars. Now, I wish some of that car skill had passed on to me. None of that passed on to me whatsoever. But I remember in the afternoons when we were down there, we'd sit at his desk and we'd watch him. And around two or three in the afternoon, he would come up from the mechanic pit, hands greasy, right? And he would take off his bib. And then he would take those greasy, big, mechanic-like hands and go outside to the wash basin. And he would take the pumice-filled soap, lava, I think it's lava, right? I think it's lava, right? That green, I mean, and he would scrub his hands. And then he had this other kind of gel-like thing, which I'm sure is probably illegal in the state of California now, um, that he would like hit the pump thing and he would wash his hands some more. And in the end, his hands were clean. And he could put his arm around me. And the highlight was walking to the Carnation restaurant for a milkshake. Because that whole cleansing process was simply to get ready to spend time with his grandson or his grandsons. But the washing of the hands so that they were clean. And when I think about what does it mean for the Lord to be like a laundering soap? That's the image that I have. But it's not my grandfather washing his own hands. It's the Lord saying, I want to cleanse you, Paul. I want to wash you clean. I want to take the stain of sin away. And my friends, that is what God longs to do in our lives. To set us free from whatever it is that is holding us back. To take us by the hand and remind us that we are loved. Because the interesting thing is you continue to read in that Malachi passage that not only is the Lord like a refiner's fire, not only is he a launderer's soap, he sits as a refiner working with silver. Because ultimately, what is God? God is the greatest artisan ever. I mean, the creativity of God, none of us can match. 
And God sits like one who forges and he refines and he cleans and he restores and he makes you and me into the person that he longs for us to be. He sits as a refiner. And so like I said, we have stories to tell. We have memories that are important. And one of the things I believe that is so great about the Old and the New Testament, the Old and the New Covenant, is they don't pull any punches. They reveal the brokenness, the fallenness, the sinfulness of humankind. But they also tell the story of the redeeming nature of God. Psalm 107, verses 1 through 3, puts it like this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. You see, if we forget the story, if we forget to keep telling the story, we will all lose our way. We've got to keep sharing the story, remembering the faithfulness, the goodness of the living God. So as we wrap up, Malachi tells us that as we are being washed and as we are being refined, that we are being made righteous. That the Levites will come and they will make righteous offerings. And it happens because of God. The Lord, our righteous Savior. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about that that's, that's what the city of Jerusalem will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior, that we are declared righteous. So my question for you to consider is this. Where is God doing his refining work in your life? Or where has God refined you recently? And then the part B of that question is, and what are the implications of that? God doesn't just refine us so that he can sit back and go, well done. God refines us. God washes us. So that we might then take our lives and seek to be a blessing to another. Because God is a God who covenants. 
He is the ultimate messenger of the covenant. And he says, I long to be in your life and with you. As we wrap up this morning, I want to do so and just offer you the closing prayer out of Hebrews as God reminds us that we are seen, that we are known, and that we are loved. This is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 22. Listen for the word covenant. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, may that God equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me, please. God, it is not always easy to be refined. That journey often comes with suffering and brokenness. But God, you also refine us in other ways by calling us to be more gracious, more generous, more obedient, to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. However it is, Lord, that you would refine us. May we see and may we remember that we are loved, that you have called us by name. May your joy and wholeness fill our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.